You don't have to get very far into the Bible to find out that some of the people we've all heard about as being famous followers of God did some really bad things that would make them famous for other reasons today. Not all of the heroes of faith were good people, and it's not just that they did bad things in their past, but since coming into this encounter with God, they got cleaned up and were squeaky clean and never did anything bad ever again, because that's not true either. Like some of our heroes, some of the people that you grew up, maybe if you were raised in a church or a temple, you've heard some wonderful stories about, or you read in a, about in a, a children's Bible storybook, did some things that were not included in that children's Bible Bible storybook. Um, and it's not just true about the religious heroes that they all have a dark side. I think that's true for probably everyone. I mean, you've heard the phrase, don't ever meet your heroes, right? Like I, I tried searching for the first person who said that. It's so common in use, has been quoted by so many people because of their personal experiences that Google couldn't even tell me where that phrase come from comes from. It's it's now just a proverb in our culture now that you should never meet your heroes. Why? Because you're going to be sadly disappointed. Why? Because you're going to find out that these people that we've all put on pedestals have the capacity to do things which would reveal to us that they never should have been put on the pedestal in the first place. In Cycle Breakers, the teaching series that we did a few weeks ago, we talked about breaking free from generational sin that we're either born with or have picked up along the way through our environment. And in this series, we're addressing where all of that brokenness comes from in the first place, and we're asking, how did we get here? Now, the Bible is very open and honest about the brokenness of its heroes, and truthfully, that's one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is telling the truth. If it was made up, I think they would have sanitized the stories much better. Like you wouldn't put in there how bad of a husband Abraham was, or that all of the disciples, 100% of them, abandoned Jesus when he was arrested and then taken to be tortured before ending up on a cross. You wouldn't put on there that one of his disciples said, even after all of the other disciples, that, that they had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead after Jesus had already predicted it three times. First of all, that none of them would believe that it happened. And two, that one of them would say, I think you're all crazy, unless it was true. Uh, I don't think it would have put in there that Mary and Jesus' brothers once thought he was crazy. You see what I'm saying? Like this, they put stuff in there that they shouldn't have put in there if it wasn't true and they wanted everybody to believe. But the messiness of the Bible, the way that his own mother questioned, uh, that his own followers questioned, that in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, that all of them continued doing bad things after having an encounter with a good God. And the Bible has a few words to describe the condition that causes that not just with all of these other people, but in me also. You've heard the word sin before, probably, as a religious word, and you may have heard the word transgression, or you might have heard the word iniquity. 
we don't really use these words outside of a religious context very much anymore. Uh, but sin actually didn't even start off as a religious word. It's translated into English as sin from the Hebrew word kata. And kata simply means to fail or to miss the mark. So it's used in other places in the Bible without having anything to do with religion. For instance, uh, the tribe of Benjamin is mentioned in tw Judges chapter 20 as having sling throwers that were so good that they could hit the hair on, on, on the top of a man's head without kata, without missing the mark. Proverbs chapter 19 says not to make hasty decisions on the path of life or you will kata your destination. You will miss. So that's what the word sin comes from. It means to miss the mark. It means to fail, to fall short. But if sin is missing the mark, that leads me to the question of what is the mark I'm supposed to hit? Like what, how have I missed the mark and what's the mark I was supposed to be aiming for that I did not hit? And in Genesis, we're told that we're created in the image of God and that we're created by God. So sin is a failure to honor God and others who are created in his image. And Jesus reiterates that point when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, very famously, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, he says, And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And then he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, this was an answer to a question that a religious scholar had walked up and asked Jesus, tried to put him on the spot. Actually, he was trying to get him to trip over his own words to discredit him when he asked Jesus of all of the commandments that we have. And it's not just the Ten Commandments because the Law of Moses, the Torah, has like over 300 of them that they had to follow. And he said, of all of the commandments, which is the one, which is the most important? And what Jesus does in summarizing the commandments is that he says, you must love God and love others. To fail, to love and honor God, and to love and honor those who are created in his image, is to kata. It's to miss the mark. It's to sin. Even the Ten Commandments are split up between those that honor God and those that honor others. The first four commandments are ways in which we could potentially fail to honor God, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as Jesus said. And the last six commandments are ways in which we could fail to honor others, or in the words of Jesus, to love others as much as we love ourselves. So failing to do what honors God and honors others is kata. It's sin. This is why kata against others is also kata against God. Like, for instance, Joseph, one of my favorite heroes in the entire Bible, is sold into slavery by his brothers to his fifth cousins. Do the research. It's crazy. Then they take Joseph to Egypt and sell him on an auction block. 
And one of Pharaoh's military commanders named Potiphar buys him and brings him into his home. And this whole time, Joseph never doubts God. I, I got to be honest, I would struggle with God if, if I'd been following God my whole life, but nothing good had ever happened to me, only bad things, I'd, I'd struggle. The kata in me would, would be raging. Um, but Joseph is very successful at everything that he does, in part because he sees everything as just another opportunity to do wonderful things in the name of God for God's kingdom purposes in the world. And so he becomes very successful as a slave. And Potiphar eventually makes Joseph the head of his entire household. And Potiphar's wife developed a crush on Joseph and she propositioned him one day. And his response to her was, no, how can I, in, in doing this with her, he said, how could I, kata against God. So he saw dishonoring her and her marriage to her husband, Potiphar, as a, like if, if he did this dishonor to her and her husband, he knew that he would be dishonoring God. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Man, I, he's also one of the ninjas of the Bible, one of the heroes who continually struggled with this dark side of him, right? Like the sin, the kata, he, that's what he struggled with. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He even murdered her husband to cover it up. Like that's, that's really, really bad, right? And then when he's confronted by Nathan the prophet for what he's done, he immediately repents and he writes Psalm chapter 51. And in Psalm chapter 51, in describing the darkness and the remorse that was in his heart, he says, God, against you, I have katad. Against you. I've done that. Now, it was a sin against Bathsheba. He had sinned against her. He had sinned against her husband, Uriah. But he said, God, I have failed you and what I've done to them. This is why Jesus said, and the Our Father, and you may be familiar with this, that we're to pray for God to forgive us, what's the next word? As we forgive other people. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John, the beloved, says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love the people we can see, how can we say that we love God whom we cannot see? So you, you can't say that you love God and kata against others because my kata against others is kata against God. My sin against others is also sin against God. Why? Because one, we're created by God to worship and serve him. And then we are to treat those that are created in his image with love and honor also. In anything less than that is a failure to hit the mark. It's kata. It's sin. And the stinky thing is that sometimes we sin without even knowing it, right? It's not just consciously choosing to do what's wrong. Sometimes we have a hard time discerning right and wrong. We'll feel like right is wrong or wrong is sometimes the most right thing to do. For instance, King Saul is the first king of all of Israel. 
And David has been anointed by Samuel to be the next king instead of his son, Jonathan. So I'm sure that Saul, from his perspective, thought that he would doing the world and his nation and definitely his family a favor by pursuing David and killing him. And then when David has the opportunity to kill Saul and doesn't, Saul's heart begins to soften. And Saul says to David, I have katad against you. Like I have failed you. You did the right thing. I did the wrong thing. I thought I was doing the right thing, but now it's obvious that I'm not. He's not the only one. Saul, the one who becomes St. Paul. Saul thought he was doing God a favor. He was a Pharisee. When he was hunting down followers of Jesus and putting them to death. Like, that's crazy that the guy that made his living hunting down followers of Jesus and killing them ends up becoming a follower of Jesus himself and is used by God to write over half of the New Testament. That's nuts. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is preaching and he's talking about the judgment day. And he says to those on his left, Depart from me, you work of iniquity and everlasting punishment. Because, he says, I was hungry and naked and sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Let me read it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 42. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in person and didn't and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? Like, we didn't know. Like, when did we not do these things for you? And then he will answer, talking about God on Judgment Day in verse 45. I tell you the truth that when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. So the truth is that we are bad at discerning moral failure from success because sometimes we think that what we're doing is fine when it isn't. And then the right thing often isn't the thing that we want to do and we find ways to justify doing what we want to do and end up in kata against God and against others. Why? Why does this keep coming up? Like why? Why does this dark side keep taking over? And I think the first time the word kata is ever used in the Bible might help us. And that's all the way back in the book of Genesis. Cain and Abel uh, are brothers. And uh, in relationship with God, one was completely submissive to God and the other wasn't. Abel was the one who was right with God because of all that he had, he gave to God first, right off the top, before he, he used his wealth for anything else. God came first. And Cain, on the other hand, looked at God and was like, all right, I got to do something. But he gave him some of what was left over and God, the Bible says, rejected Cain in his offering. And this made Cain upset. And God comes to Cain and he warns him and, and he, he tells him that Kata is waiting at the door of his heart to devour him. Like God 
describes kata in the language of like a like a dangerous animal that's on the inside of us waiting for the right moment to take over our lives and ruin everything. And some of you have experienced this. Your life was going great. A relationship was going great. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and for no reason at all, you did the stupidest thing you've ever done in your entire life and you've lived with regret ever since. Like, where did that come from? Like, I think God would say to you, be careful because kata is waiting at the door of your heart to devour you. That's what it is. It's pictured as a dangerous animal trying to destroy us. But it's something that's already in us. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say that God is the one who tempted me with kata. God's not the one that led you. Why did this happen to me? Why didn't God stop me? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've heard somebody else say that. Why didn't God stop me? God's not the one who had this choice. You do. And out of love, he gives you the free will on whether or not you want to live under his authority or whether you want to live under your own. So you and I make the choice to do this. He says, where does this, he says, don't say that this, this kata that's in my heart comes to me from God. Then he, he says, God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. Verse 14 says, temptation to do wrong comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Like it's already in there. You and I both have kata somewhere deep on the inside of us. And like Cain, I think God would say to both of us, that it is waiting at the door of our heart, ready to, to devour you, to ruin the good things in your life, to pull you farther away from God and farther away from others, to get you to continue failing and honoring others, loving others, and failing to honor God and to love God. James chapter 4 says this, verse 1, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are already at war in your own heart? Now, I feel this all the time, and I've mentioned this before. Anytime I'm in traffic, I can feel, I can feel the evil desires at war within me. Because I don't know if you've, you're probably a much better Christian person than me, but sitting in traffic, if somebody cuts me off, there are times where like the desire to just ram my car into the back of theirs is like, that, that would just bring me so much happiness, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Like if, if, if I owned my own body shop and, and uh, I was going to say, if I owned my own body shop and I could get away with it, but honestly, I would feel horrible if I did it. But man, for a few moments, I would feel really good to just nail the side of their car and just ruin the rest of their day. Like they're about to ruin the, that's the thing. It shouldn't even ruin the rest of my day. It just does. But when he talks about the evil desires that are at war within us, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Like I, it's the idea of being drawn to do something really bad and stupid, knowing that it's the wrong thing to do, but still having a big taste for it, right? 
I'm sure you can't think of anything. I'm thinking of a few other things I just don't want to share with you guys today. But this is why Paul uses the Greek word, and then Paul doesn't use kata to describe sin. The Greek word for this is hamartia. It's the same thing, though it means to fail or to miss the mark. But it's why Paul describes hamartia or sin as a force that's trying to rule us and control us from the inside. In Romans chapter 7, verse 20, Paul says, But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not the one who's really doing it. It's sin that's already living in me that's doing it. And he's not trying to justify himself saying, it's not me, I'm not to blame, it's the sin that's inside me. Paul's trying to explain how it is that I can be somebody who's following God, who still finds himself doing things that somebody who doesn't follow God would do. It's almost like if your heart and my heart is a computer system, then hamartia, kata, sin, is a virus that our computer picked up. And it's corrupted the code so that, yeah, I can get it to turn on and most functions I can do on my computer or in the hard drive of my heart. But there are going to be times in which the virus that's in this computer is going to show up and ruin the program that I'm working in, right? Like that's kind of what Kata is, is it's a corruption in the software that's affecting my hardware. So according to the Bible, sin in the human condition, excuse me, sin is the human condition where we continue failing to honor God and those that he created in his image. And it's the selfish impulse that drives so much of our behavior. But this is why Jesus is such good news for us, is because he's the creator who becomes the created. He himself is born with a hard drive except without the virus. And he did not fail to honor God and to honor others. He did not fail to love God and to love others. In fact, Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He said, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not even retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his cause in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And then he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. So in the analogy of the computer virus, you would download the McAfee antivirus software and downloading the antivirus software doesn't make the virus go away. It doesn't rewrite the code. What it does is he catches the McAfee virus, antivirus. It catches the bad code and has a patch that covers over it to compensate for the virus so that it loses its power and control over your computer and the other programs that you're using. In the same way, Jesus is the perfect computer who then comes into the hard drive of your life and he takes on himself all of the virus. The Bible says that his blood is like the patch over the corrupted systems in your heart and compensates uh, for your sin so that your sin doesn't destroy you 
or control your system any longer. It doesn't mean that the corruption isn't there. Like the antivirus doesn't make everything in your computer perfect. And Paul would say that Jesus's forgiveness and atonement for your sin, while it pays off your debt before a holy and righteous God, you have the antivirus, the corruption in the code is still there. It's just that God's presence in your life is the patch that goes over that, is what it is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, all the corruption and the hardware, all of the sin, set it down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do this? Verse two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. If you, like me, recognize that hamartia, that kata, that sin is still, is still present with you, causing you to do things that you wish you hadn't done, uh, then you need to look at Jesus. You need to recognize that he's the one who takes your kata, your sin, on himself. That he paid the ultimate price, the ultimate consequences for your sin, and then causes, calls you to follow his example. What that means is you recognize that you have kata. I have dishonored God, I've dishonored others. I have failed to love God and I have failed to love others. And that makes me guilty of missing the mark and failing before a holy and righteous God. And someday, like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, I will stand before that God and be judged innocent or guilty. And what I'm saying is that at the end, all corrupted computers are destroyed for eternity. But those who have the antivirus patch are declared innocent. Not because they've never been corrupted, but because the one that was incorrupted has been applied to their life and their computer is now clean. So the truth is all corrupted hard drives are thrown out in the end and the only ones who are saved are those who have the antivirus software. So what I'm gonna ask everybody to do is I'm gonna ask everybody, if you would, to bow your head and we'll pray. And for those of you who have the antivirus, you've called on Jesus to forgive you and save you. You've placed your faith and trust in what he did on the cross and his resurrection to pay off the kata that is in your heart, the hamartia that still is there corrupting the system. I want you to ask God's spirit to search your heart for corrupted text. God, show me the way in which I am failing to love you and to love someone else. Show me the way in which I have failed to honor you with some area of my life, or I have failed to honor others who are created in your image in some way in my life. And as God's Holy Spirit shows you things in your life that are corrupted, that you're not applying the virus to, the antivirus to, 
The biblical word is repent. It means to change course. It means that if this is the way you've been doing things and you now recognize in your heart that this is wrong, that you're going to stop going in that direction, you're going to turn around, and that's what I'm asking you to do. So whether you are confident you have a close relationship with God or you're not, I want you to ask for one. If you're spiritually disconnected from God, your prayer is, God, take away all of my kata. Forgive me for it. I'm sorry for it. Forgive me for all of the ways I have failed to love you and love others. Forgive me for all the ways that I have failed to honor you and failed to honor others. And give me the antivirus. Take away my sin. Give me grace and mercy. Jesus, help me to keep my eyes on you, the example of the way that I should live my life. And help me to follow you with the rest of it. Make that your prayer. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then your prayer is, show me any area in my life, any program that's corrupted so that I can make it right. God, let your will be done in our heart. Thank you for addressing our sin. I'm thankful for the transparent picture that we have of all of these different Bible heroes who are flawed in very complicated ways because each one of them are an example to us on the way that kata, the way that sin is a threat, not just to our eternity, but also to the life that we live here and now. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak into our hearts and show us the ways in which we need to still tweak and change. For those of us who are distant from you, God, thank you for bringing us back to yourself and making us yours and applying the antivirus of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus into our hearts to make us right with you. Help us to follow you, Jesus, with the rest of our life. This is our prayer. And help it to make a difference in the way that we live our life this week. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.